Hello and welcome back to the Marvellous Cinema Podcast. I am your co-host Matthew. And I'm your other co-host Henry. And we're back this week to discuss sort of a similar but different topic from last week. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about films or shows, I suppose, that we would change or that we would perhaps rewrite in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um Remember the disappointed is, and we wanted to we want to improve upon them. Yeah. Or maybe there could could just be little things we want we want to alter. Yeah, I think it's it's only natural for people, especially people interested in filmmaking, to want to kind of create their own version of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I feel like even with good movies, I do the same thing where I'm like, this could have been done better, and how would I have done that? And it's just a fun exercise. Mm. Uh, I don't think. Uh, by your saying this, that we're proclaiming that we know better than the actual directors. <laughs> oh yeah, like writing, directing, you know, it's a tough job. Yeah, we're just, you know, with the benefit of hindsight and the benefit of just just talking on a podcast <laughs> about this instead of having to get the funding or whatever. <laughs> um, just kind of talking about what we could, what we think could make movies better um, compared to what we thought they were like. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you want to get started with your first one? We can do. Uh, what I'm, what I'm kind of going to say first is, um, I have a correction to make. Oh. On something I said last week on the podcast, <laughs> which it, 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 you know, it, it kind of, um, it kind of ties in. Okay. What we're talking about, so now that's good. Um, I mentioned a American soap program called Dallas. You did, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I spoke about a character called JR being killed and then being brought back mm-hmm. several seasons later with the idea that it was all a dream. Yeah. I have I have I have confirmed with reliable sources, i.e. my mum <laughs> that what I did tell you was in fact incorrect. Oh no. Oh no. Because JR, the character I mentioned, was shot. Yeah. And the whole who shot JR was a plot line. Mm-hmm. In one of the earlier seasons, around 1980. <laughs> right. Okay. However, Jr. wasn't killed. Right. He was. Just he was okay. fine. He was just in the hospital bed. Oh, okay. But still. Um, ha- however. Yeah. The, st- the 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 story I did tell you was true in that it relates to a different character called Bobby Ewing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And six years after the the JR thing, um, at the end of a season, at the end of wait, let's have a look. Um, Bobby, I'm, I'm reading off this off an article. Bobby, played by Patrick Duffy, had died at the end of the show's 1984-85 season after being run down in a car by his sister-in-law Catherine. Jesus Christ! <laughs> uh, and then. The, the the next season everything moved on with a really tragic storyline. This character is like a, a real fan favourite uh-huh. among fans of the show. He was apparently the moral compass of the show. He was the Rick Grimes. He yes, he was. <laughs> he was married to a woman called Pam. All right. Uh played by Victoria Principal. Um and the whole season was about them all moving on, learning to, to deal with the loss of the moral compass, mm-hmm. and then, um, basically, it. Let me, let me 
Let me try and find the sentence. <laughs> um, where's it gone? I'm glad we're sorting this out. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm. I'm glad. I feel the need to correct this. You're right. <laughs> to get a story like this wrong is uh, brutal. Hmm. So at the start of the 1986-87 series, it was revealed that the whole of the previous year's events, including Bobby's accident and subsequent death, as well as everything else that had happened for the show in the intervening 12 months, were a figment of Pam's imagination. All right. (laughs) I can only imagine that as a writer, when you've worked on a show for a year, and then like some new writer comes on board or some producer asks you to put in it was all a dream. Mm-hmm. How hard, like, crushing that would be. Because, like, it just means nothing now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does. Uh, it's, it's now infamously referred to as the shower scene because Bobby just comes out of the shower. And he's fine. Um, one, of, one, of, one, of the, um, one of the best things, are, one of the best sentences from this article is, it just says, in the final episode of the following season, Bobby's wife, Pam, who had, who had remarried during his absence, mm-hmm. wakes up in her bed to, to hear a shower running, expecting to see her new husband, Mark. She instead instead discovers the person in her bathroom is Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> what a good twist. The fact that they literally had to <laughs> wipe everything. Yeah. Um, and then it also says... Um, the revelation, had, the revelation had a significant impact on the series. Several major characters were axed because they were introduced in the season, but oh, yeah. now no longer existed. That's incredible. Others that... that were due to leave or had been killed off were attained or brought back, including Catherine, who had originally died when she ran Bobby over. That's it. That's a choice, isn't it? You know. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, despite Duffy's reintroduction and a return to more straightforward plot lines, the series failed to go back to its ratings topping ways of the early eighties. Oh really? Did it? <laughs> I'm surprised. You get lost of all this. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the actor who came in in between. And then someone just says, sorry, mate, you're, you're a dream. <laughs> oh, my God. It gets even better. I hadn't read this paragraph. So um, Dallas had a spin-off called Knott's Landing. Of course. And it says here, Knott's Landing's producers were allegedly furious that D- Dallas did not consider them when the dream revelation occurred. Bobby would remain dead in the plot of Knott's Landing, and the two shows completely severed plot lines from then onwards. What? <laughs> so they just continued making the dream timeline, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. um, that's some bad management on all accounts there. That's incredible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that yeah, because sure? apparently the, the character appeared in the spin-off several times, and it, says, it just says that Knott's Landing continues to feature several plot lines that were as a result of Bobby's death. That's a, that's incredible. Is it actually a popular show as well? It, it, yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Or at least it was. It was huge in the 80s. Because I've heard the name, but I never knew what it actually was. It's about like a family that do uh, their own um, oil, like an oil company. Mm-hmm. run by a family, and Bobby... Bobby's one of the sons, and JR's his brother, and there's another brother. 
It's sort of soap type things. Yeah. Basically. Emmerdale, but in America. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, I just I just want to keep on reading this to be honest. <laughs> um, and also and also um, it says Bobby's return was kept from the cast, and the people that filmed it were told they were filming footage for a commercial. No way. No. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, it says because the previous season's plotlines were abandoned, the character of Pam went from being a tough, independent woman to a much, much weaker character, leading the actress to leave the show at the end of that series. I don't blame them. You know, I would leave <laughs> anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then to top it all off, Dallas was revived in 2012. Mm-hmm. Featuring original characters J.R., Sue Ellen, and guess who? It's Bobby. <laughs> Bobby's back. Mm-hmm. And He's then like... the actor that played J.R. died in real life, so. Oh. It's like um, that one character in Star Wars that keeps on dying. Like in different forms. Kind of like that. Oh, um, Shakti. I think so, yeah. It's like but... the Jedi that keeps on getting killed in, in every medium possible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I wanted to start with that as a correction because this is such a bizarre story and I feel like I had to get it right. To calm down the Dallas fans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. They were writing in furious. Dublin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, so shall I start with the actual thing? Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, do you want to go first then after I've done that or do you want me to still? Um, I can go first. Go on then, you go first. Uh, I guess my first one is vaguely somewhat um, a bit kind of surprising. Um, I want to go for Endgame. And it's... That's, that's very interesting because one of my two mm-hmm. is also Endgame. Is it? Yeah. Oh. But, but for me, Endgame is one tiny aspect. Oh, okay. So for me, I think it's a bit more... I think it's more of like a structural change for me than like... Mm-hmm fixing the time travel or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for me, it's kind of, I, I want to preface this with like, with like, I do love this movie quite a lot. And I do think it nails a lot of things. And I do think it has an impossible task to do. And it's a miracle that it does it so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just kind of giving it like a rework in my brain of like what I was, I guess, expecting, like walking in, um, and it was just like a, to me, I just wanted a slower movie. I didn't really need it to be, because I mean, I even like, I was so kind of not annoyed by it, but I was definitely like off-putted by the fact that Ant-Man and the whole time travel actual plot gets put into the movie about, I think it's like literally this 20-minute mark. Um, so like three-hour movie and 20-minute mark is still like the inciting incident. Um, which is just like, I don't think it's like a wrong thing, but I think it's... It's kind of a just not what I was expecting at all. Um, mm. I wanted that first twenty minutes of Tony Stark in the spaceship and all these other elements are kind of like people kind of just like living in their failure. I just kind of I just wanted that to be to be at least like the first half of the film, mm. um, if not like even just the first hour. You know, like the first third of the film. So I think for me, it's it's kind of pushing back or just re-editing, even re-editing. Um, that um, Ant Man coming out of the van and then time travel 
wacky hijinks happening um, to like much later on. Mm. And I think with that comes a different sort of change, which becomes the first hour I would rather be kind of like it was setting up its own arcs instead of because I feel like it's a the film does a good job I do think in the end but I kind of wish like the film did have an emotional clear journey with every character from beginning to end in this one movie yeah like Captain America for I can feel like his arc even though I think it's really well executed in the 20 film scheme and then the end scene is beautiful but I kind of wish it was more than just him doing the time travel plot and at, at, at certain intervals and certain points just kind of going, oh, and Peggy exists. Because <laughs> um, it is kind of like he just looks at the watch with her face on it and then sees her in the office and it's kind of just, it's kind of just, I don't know, I don't want to say it's rushed or anything. I don't think it is. I just think it's a different form of doing the story compared to, I guess, like a more um, clear cut regular two-hour experience arc um yeah so i kind of wish every character got that sort of clarity i wish that i definitely wish that even though i do like the design i do like the idea of it i wish that um ronin or hawkeye got a lot more time to actually be to have that new side to to him like actually be investigated a bit more than just Mm, yeah because it is kind of this one fight scene with him where we get to see him being kind of unrestrained and kind of brutal. And then it kind of, we kind of just move on and don't really talk about it ever again. Um, it's kind of like a one scene thing and then a hint towards him having a darker past, I think, of like one or two lines. And then he doesn't die, he just gets redeemed through a big end fight at the end. And again, I think it works. I don't think it does, I don't think it doesn't work. I just think it's. I had a different movie in my mind going in, and it wasn't, it wasn't that, but it was definitely a great version of what they were doing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think, I think the other thing I had was, oh, the other thing I had was have. It's my only. I think it's my only actual big problem with the movie that I do think is a problem. I don't think they should have killed Thanos at all, um, and I think that at the end having them beat Thanos, but it's not the Thanos that knows them. Is a choice I just don't understand. <laughs> um, I, think, I think it's a big thing. It's a big thing to go for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I think I understand it mainly through through the the videotape he gets shown. Yeah, I get. I think if you don't have that, then I think it it becomes a bit weak. I, I know. Yeah, I guess that because does he does. He he would at that point in time he would still be aware that the Avengers exist. Yeah, because you sent the team to New York and all that. Mm. Um, but I guess for me, it's just... I don't. I guess it is a good device to use for your story, I guess, in the beginning of the film, to kill the villain. And then from there, have your story be freed up from the, from the whole kind of, well, what is Thanos doing when everyone else is doing this? And it gives you a bit more time to do all these other things. Mm. So I get, I get why on that part. But I just think it makes the last kind of battle sequence kind of feel a bit like a last minute sort of well we need to move the avengers movie to end with you know an avengers battle um and i think it i think it gets by incredibly well with many great moments within that fight but and many great choreography and character moments and like a really great ending to the fight itself but Mm -hmm. 
I just think having your antagonist be missing and then come back, but not be the version we know, kind yeah. of without the, without the personal history. He has he knows them, but I don't think he has the personal history. I guess no, he doesn't. That's true. Um, so I just think I don't. And the thing is, I totally get it because I even right now when I was like writing this these notes and all that, I was like, how would you have Thanos be in this movie with the Infinity Stones? And not at any point stop the the Avengers from doing what they're doing. Mm. It's very, it's a very tricky thing because he has the power to do anything. Um, so having him, I get having him destroy the Infinity the Infinity Stones and then and then uh, die essentially is a really great idea. I just wish that they could have figured out a better way to make it full circle as like an actual ending battle, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's my only really, that's kind of my big issues with the film, I guess, and not even, not even issues that I count as like proper. I don't know. I think it's just me walking in expecting something different. Yeah. Out of this film, and getting something that was much more. It, it was a, a definitely an emotionally powerful film and a very well and like a, a very a film filled with love and craft. I just. And just can't help but at the same time when I was watching, I remember watching the film for the first time and kind of having the, oh, this isn't what I was thinking of, but okay. <laughs> um, and then still, you know, I still cried and all that. I still laughed and all And I still appreciated what it was and definitely loved it. It's definitely, you mm-hmm. know, a top 10 in the MCU. Um, but yeah, this is just my small changes, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm saying with you in that I do, I, I really love this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, the whole experience surrounding it will always have it'll always have a special place in my heart. I absolutely adore it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and many of the flaws, like you said, I, I I kind of just gloss over. I mean, I think yeah, maybe that doesn't sit completely right with me. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of accept it because it's I, like for example with the Thanos Thanos thing, I justify it because you know it's not really Thanos's film anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Avengers one. True, but yeah, I, I just love it. But the one thing that I want, I would have done differently, is to do with the A Force moment. Oh, okay. What would you have changed? Now I, right, Clevia, I love this moment. Oh, okay. I think it's great. <laughs> Same, I love it as well. I I remember being in being in the cinema and it happened. I can, I can just feel myself smiling and thinking, yes, Marvel. <laughs> show, I, those, show those salty nerds mm-hmm. who's boss, who's in control. I had a similar moment. I never, in the back of my mind, I went, people are going to hate this, and I fucking love that. <laughs> yeah. One thing for me that I would change about it is, because it, ha- it comes about because Thanos rains fire, mm-hmm. and Peter has the gauntlet. Yeah. Trying to get it to the van. Peter has the gauntlet. He cuts Peter's web. He rolls about and he has to protect the gauntlet. And then Captain Marvel comes in, destroys the ship, lands and takes takes the gauntlet off him. He says something like, "How are you going to get it there?" And then all the all the women come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My change would be that it's not Captain Marvel that takes the gauntlet. Oh. Okay. I I would have it be Nebula. Oh, okay. okay. I th- th- this isn't completely my idea. I have seen it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. some sort of video on it. I think I can't remember it all. 
I just really like, like the idea of it being still have everybody converge around. Maybe Captain Marvel's the first person to land next to her or something. Yeah. Um, but I feel like it's Nebula has a really great arc in Endgame. She's my favorite character in this movie. I think. Yeah, she is. She is so great, and she has a great arc. You know, she, where she a little on the nose, but she shoots herself. <laughs> she does. Yeah, <laughs> she, she kills kills her old self, which is great, great stuff. I absolutely love it. But I think it would be the cherry on top of the icing, the cake, if you had you had a moment where Nebula takes the gauntlet. Gamora and Captain Marvel, all of the women sort of gather around her mm-hmm. as they begin to go. And then as they start running, you know, Thanos looks over and sees Nebula with the gauntlet. Yeah. Maybe the lock eyes or something, I don't know. But I just thought that would be... It's just the best like a, example of her standing up to Thanos. Yeah. She's finally moved past Thanos. It would be a bit more... It would be like kind of a... A moment for like every female character, but at the same time being a kind of a character arc fulfillment with her, that character. Mm. That being said, I do, I do still, I do still love the Air yeah. Force moment for what it is. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I remember that moment so much. I just remember thinking, half people in the cinema right now are either rolling their eyes, and half of them are like really happy. And I'm so happy that I'm the one that's really happy. <laughs> yeah, same. It's one of those moments. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah, that, 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 that's one of mine. Um, I guess my next one. Yeah, my next one is Jurassic World. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. A movie I, I'm up and down on honestly because it's like sometimes I don't like it, sometimes I hate it, and I watched it recently, like I think before I came to uni, um, this year, and I think it was like one of those things. Where I was like, oh, this isn't terrible. It's just not great. Um. And I think this time around, and I think most of all because of where the second, the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom movie ended, I think it gave me the idea of like, why didn't you just do some the beginning? Um, and I guess in my mind, I think the reboot kind of sequel thing, it should have been um, a world where we were post um, like a dinosaur apocalypse sort of thing, where they have they gotten free some through some sort of mysterious. Um, background that we just don't know about in between films. Um, I think that would have been a great, like, kind of a revitalization of the franchise compared to a different park. Um, yeah, because it would feel like you're moving forward. Yeah. Um, it's a new kind of story. Yeah, it would have been definitely different. I don't think it would have been, and I think a lot of that film is a lot of. And don't get me wrong, I don't think nostalgia is the worst thing in the world. I don't understand. The argument that if your film has a callback or whatever, that is suddenly the worst film ever, or empty, because um, mm-hmm. there are plenty that have callbacks that aren't empty. Um, this is a good way of using it, a good way of not using it, a bad mm-hmm. way. Of using it. Um, but I do think, for the most part, Jurassic World, I would say, is kind of a is kind of a bad way of doing it because it is just a different different park, but with less engaging characters and I guess a new theme of like consumerism and trying to recreate uh, things to be more because we're so past the idea of even just normal dinosaurs now and I think these are some great ideas I just don't think they're I just don't think they're ever used particularly well um, and the idea I can't for some reason I'm not even I'm not a logical film person I don't really care about the logics of how it works but the idea of raptors being 
um, controlled and used as like army stuff. I still can't accept that for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> just it, it just it feels like the whole whatever it is, whether it's dinosaurs or some sort of technology. I feel like we've probably gone beyond the whole the military want to use it to revolutionize war. Yeah, I feel like I think I feel like that's grown stale. Because one of the other examples when I think about that is I think about Ant Man. Yeah, it's true. The first Ant Man because he. The villain wants to use the yellow jacket to the yellow jacket to revolutionize warfare, and mm-hmm. we yeah. we can't let this get into the hands of the army, sort of thing. It doesn't feel like a, I don't know, like a personal kind of um, character sort of thing. It just feels a bit like a generic world-ending sort of thing, mm. uh, like a blue light in the sky. <laughs> um, but I think in my my idea. And I think this is what they're going for with the new one, which I'm very happy about. And I'm definitely excited for, um, even though I shouldn't be, maybe. <laughs> um, is the idea that this this film, the first one, or the third one, I think, is going to be, is like a story that takes place after the rise of that, after the revolution of dinosaurs or whatever. And have Ian Malcolm come back and have him be like a mentor figure. Um, mm. Like we got these new characters that have been living in this world that of just living and kind of surviving and scavenging and whatever, and then Ian Malcolm kind of appears and kind of has he kind of has this I don't know kind of like a, a goal to get to like this new the last human shit uh, city, uh, which is kind of been at least part of it's been run by the I forget the names but the Sam Neill character and Laura Dern. Uh, yeah. Um... Oh my god! Let me Google it. <laughs> but yeah, I like the idea of like um, the plot being centered centered around getting to their new kind of last world, um, and I think it could be just a fresh new take on the same kind of premise, um, and a bit less kind of being there done that, and it leaves out the idea that the second film, Fallen Kingdom, is just half and half like. It's an island, and we're running away from dinosaurs. And then at the end, it's kind of now we're in a haunted mansion with dinosaurs in it. It's a very weird film. The second one, um, Alan Grant and Ellie Sattler. There we go. Okay, yeah. So I like I like the idea of those two characters being sort of an endpoint for the entire movie, um, kind of being the end MacGuffin or the end, just like the kind of the end point of like, oh, we're finally safe from dinosaurs. We've got to the last kind of refuge, which is being run by them. Because um, I think a part of make a, a big part of making a sequel should be continuing character storyline instead of just completely rebooting it sometimes. Um, instead of think... just treating them like a... Like a... I don't know how to describe it. Like create, treating them like a plot reward in a way. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like kind of a... Kind of like in the style to like head nod instead of mm. an actual twenty years of twenty words yeah, twenty years have happened in between films, <laughs> and these people have had lives. Yeah, uh, they've got to have a, have a purpose to be there. They've got to have their own reason, their own purpose. Yeah, basically. And I think more than that, I think a big problem I had with Jurassic World, and to a certain extent the sequel. I don't think it has that much of a problem with it, but the idea that we come to these films to see CGI dinosaurs fight each other is a weird one because I never thought that that was ever the main point of it. <laughs> um, mm. I get that it's a a cool idea to have 
uh, this dinosaur fight, this dinosaur. But I mean, I will, I will never really remember what happened at the end of Jurassic World compared to the the kitten scene in the first Jurassic Park or yeah. the 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 fence and rain and all that stuff in the first film, and then even the second film, which has like the thing hanging off the edge of the cliff and the mm, whole, yeah. the whole uh, I think San Francisco like kind of escape thing. Um, mm. Again, just push it forward instead of just doing the same film again and kind of just, I don't know, just like not really committing to any sort of new theme. Because I think a good example of doing, somewhat doing the same thing again, but with completely new themes and characters is The Force Awakens because it is the same general plot structure of a message in a droid that leads somewhere important and some sort of big weapon. Uh, But the characters and the new themes and the the way the mental figure is used us, for example, and just like there's just different, enough different elements that are just purely about characters and themes compared to Jurassic World, where it attempts to have these new themes but doesn't really doesn't really commit to any of them. Um, it just sort of like sprinkles in ideas of consumerism and all these sort of things, um, but doesn't really. Again, yeah, it kind of don't do anything with them. It is, yeah. It just becomes running away. From, it just becomes running away from dinosaurs without any of the horrific, like sort of like horror vibes of the first film or the second film. It's just more, just more of the same thing. Um, and I don't. I guess I don't hate it. I guess this time around I watched it, but it's it could have been better. And I hope that the new one, the third one, is this film. I hope it's the one that pushes it really far forward and makes it different. And I think even comparing it to Jurassic two and uh, Jurassic Park two and three and all that. I think for the first time, this new one could be the first Jurassic Park sequel that actually matters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because all the park sequels are all kind of just they go to a park, hell breaks loose, they might go somewhere new, and then eventually the dinosaurs just go back to being on an island, and then a big emotional speech about emotional speech about something about dinosaurs. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but this is the first time that the dinosaurs are definitely out and we're going to see a world that's completely different and all the original characters are back. It's exciting because it's it's just what you'd hope a sequel would be 20 years later. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's just what I would change, I guess. Would you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's a really interesting concept that I feel like it's taken a long time to get to. Because even, even then it was still teased in or presented as a potential future in Jurassic Park 2, I think. Mm-hmm, yeah. Where they, where they had the possibility of the dinosaur getting loose in the city. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's probably it's taken a lot longer than you would have thought to get to this point. <laughs> yeah. Maybe at least thought there might have been some sort of spin-off, maybe not necessarily a continuation of the main storyline, but maybe something that existed in a, in, in a universe where dinosaurs ruled the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it feels like it feels, it feels like it should have happened sooner. It feels like the third film, like it should have been that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the but, final film, a trilogy sort of thing. Yeah, but weirdly, never happened. I don't know why. <laughs> no, never happened. Yeah. Do you want to move on to yours? We can do. So my, so I, I, I found this really difficult in general, as I said to you before we started this. So I only actually had two. <laughs> I had two plus uh, Dallas trivia. Okay. <laughs> uh, 
So my second one is is a pretty big thing, I suppose. So I've not I've I've, I've not shortchanged you, <laughs> and that is the Star Wars prequels. Oh, okay, okay, this is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, three films in one. <laughs> so my basically what, what what I've done in my mind for this is I've not necessarily rewritten anything. I've just changed the timeline-ish. I've changed the like the, the the order in which events happen, sort of thing. Yeah. Um. So we'll, and I, I've also done it in a way that I've not necessarily removed anything that is considered by a lot of people to be liked. I've done it so that um, the Clone Wars exists as it does it as it still does. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as we've talked about in the past on the podcast, that the main idea behind the way I've sort of thought about it is the Clone Wars should be more of an aspect of the prequels. I would agree, yeah. <laughs> and like, we only see the end of it in Attack of the Clones, and the end, it's the start of it in Attack of the Clones, right at the end, and the ending of the Clone Wars in Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. Yet prior to the prequels, the Clone Wars was only one of the few bits of information we actually had. Yep. <laughs> so I was thinking maybe if you had like the first episode one would essentially be a combination of a Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. You could have Qui Gon and Obi Wan go out into into the outer rim, mm-hmm. looking for the disappeared Master Sifo Dyas. <laughs> yeah. Um and on the way they encounter some sort of occasion similar to sort of the start of Phantom Menace where they want to get information, maybe they get ambushed, mm-hmm. the ship doesn't work, and they're stranded on Tatooine where they meet Anakin, who I would say maybe a bit older. Yeah. I'd have him maybe be fifteen. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> um just, just a little bit older. Same age as Padme, probably. That would help, wouldn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. That would remove all of the uh, all the memes. It's so odd that choice, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very. Um, you'd have it where they'd still meet on Tatooine, have Obi Wan and Anakin be a character. <laughs> That'd be um, helpful. And yeah, just explore the relationship between them in that way. Maybe have them discover a plot to invade Naboo. Mm-hmm. I was thinking they could go back to the council, present this powerful Anakin. Yeah. They could say they only have enough money on them to free the kid or the mother, because I'm interested in still... I'd still probably keep the whole mother dying thing. Yeah. Because that's a pretty great moment in Anakin's fall to the dark side. Yeah. Um, and then you'd sort of have... I think you'd have the plot of Phantom Menace and the plot of... Attack of the Clones sort of happened concurrently, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Like Attack. if you had Qui-Gon go with maybe maybe Amadal and Anakin to Naboo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Obi-Wan would sort of go off to see about the clones. Um I also thought it'd be interesting to have maybe have the Jedi Council but have Dooku on it. 
Oh, yeah. Like before he turns to the dark side. How the end of the twist. And then, yeah, so the, the invasion of Naboo happens. Qui-Gon fights Maul. Um, and then I always thought it'd be good to have Mace Windu do something. <laughs> and maybe Mace Windu can fight Dooku. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, then, then you'd have you'd have Obi Wan with the clones come in to sort of save the day, but he's not there in time to save Qui Gon. Mm-hmm. So Qui Gon still gets killed by Maul. Maul's all like, "You look lads, I did it. Look <laughs> at me. Oh wait, now I've been cut in half. Oh no. Um, still have that so that you could therefore still have the Clone Wars." Mm-hmm. Which was in the back of my mind. I thought maybe maybe you'd want to keep them all around. Yeah. The entire trilogy, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to lose the Clone Wars. Same. I. Yeah. Great part of the entire thing. Mm. Um, I also had added so then that it ends there basically. Mm-hmm. But then I had the idea to complete. You could maybe completely redo two, and I had an idea of. Dooku's obviously gone to the dark side at this point properly. Mm-hmm. But he could maybe introduce... Oh, also as well, with the clones invading at the end of Phantom Menace, you would have the Clone Wars start there. Yeah. yeah. And then I'd have... I'd want, you could have like a darker sequel film. Mm-hmm. And the way the way you could do that is the opening scene of, the, of episode two should be... You know that um, that arc from the original Clone Wars series um, where Grievous hunts the Jedi. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like really, uh, the music is great, however. The Jedi are like in, they're in like a crashed ship mm-hmm. and Grievous that. hunts them. I'd have that, you could have that as the opening scene to episode two. Yeah. And you could have it be who the who the hell is this guy tearing us a new one? <laughs> but then, and then also you could have the clones come in, save the day. You know, there's that clone hero, whatever guy. But then you could also have like an interesting thing in this one where you maybe establish it that the Jedi don't trust the clones. Yeah, could you? And then you have this big hero clone guy, like he is in the the two D Clone Wars. And maybe he could make a big sacrifice in the film to, mm-hmm. at the end. And he could be remembered as like a hero. Yeah. And therefore that makes the Jedi trust the clones, which would be even more tragic come Order 66. Yeah, I I definitely get what you mean, because it, it would be nice if the, in the end of like Res of the Sith, if like these tragic moments of everyone kind of falling apart was built, like built upon arcs of two films where we learned to trust and kind of have friendships based around previous conflict. Like it mm. came, a friendship or whatever or a relationship with Padme Anakin came from a previous sort of like a conflict of interest sort of thing um, compared mm. to the clones are there in the background and all of a sudden they just shoot everyone. <laughs> yeah. At least. Because um, I always say it'd be an interesting idea to have in episode two which is sort of hinted at in the actual thing, or you, there are aspects of it in the original episode two, or the actual episode two, should I say, mm-hmm. where you have in the arena, you have Obi-Wan, Anakin and Padme all together. Yeah. Like yeah. it feels, if 
feels like they should be the Han, Luke, and Leia of the prequels. Whenever yeah, I... they aren't, because they're never together. Yeah, it's it... it's weird. <laughs> yeah, like I, I imagine if you could have those three together in the same way that you had Han, Leia, Chewie, C-3PO on the Falcon in Empire. Mm-hmm. Like you could have them on the run from something. I think that the only way it's weird because I think we all often see like the second film in the trilogy to so do the Empire Strikes Back thing of splitting the characters apart. Um, but I think because of like sort of tragic kind of dark nature of Episode Three, that I think that Episode Two should really be the one that was them three together as a, as a trio, kind of like a Rise of Skywalker sort of mm. thing. They are for the most part together. Um, and to me, whenever I see, and this really tells you what my Twitter and Instagram is, whenever I see like fan art of the prequel, then it's Obi Wan, Padme, and Anakin like as actual good friends. And we're like, oh, that would have been nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> I get like they are kind of a trio, but like they don't really talk to each other like as a trio together. Like, mm. and then even Obi Wan and Padme, whenever they have like their very rare scenes together where Anakin's not there, I'm like, oh, you have good chemistry. Like. You are like I could imagine you having like a good adventure in this universe or whatever, um, with Anakin there as well. But having it be kind of Anakin Padme love story, and then Anakin Obi Wan weird friendship, and then they kind of like in like kind of like pass each other by in like some sort of weird way. It's kind of like it's just a weird choice that I never really understood. Like making your main heroes never interact that much. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's, it's a problem in Attack of the Clones in that Obi-Wan and Anakin, we're, we're told that they're friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're told that they're good mates and they get along together great. But we're never shown it. And we I feel like we should have been, been given the opportunity to see them together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and also, if you had like the three of them together, you'd have a really fascinating dynamic where there is this love story going on. And you more explicitly address the fact that maybe Obi-Wan knows it's happening. Yeah, it's true. And maybe he's letting it happen, which could play into the fact that maybe Obi-Wan feels guilty for what happened because... Maybe he helps him hide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, because because one of the the fascinating aspects of the last season of The Clone Wars is that it's properly implied that Obi-Wan knows about Anakin and Padme's relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because pretty sure before that the only the only thing to do with it we got was when Obi Wan goes to see Padme in Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. and he says that you know he realizes that she's pregnant, or she knows that she's pregnant with Anakin's son, yeah. children should I say? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so I always saw that 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 dynamic in the Clone Wars where he knows that they're talking together. I found that really fascinating. Yeah, it's kind of what would have been a really interesting interesting dynamic where you would have had like some sort of stern, um, very strict to the strict to the core Jedi Obi Wan kind of soften up and kind of let him break the rule because of their friendship, and it would have been so much more tragic for the idea that Padme and him, um, that like Padme was his downfall, like him wanting to keep her alive. And it's kind of, in some way, related to Obi-Wan helping them be together. Mm. Instead of him kind of being off doing his own clone-involved thing and then all that. Um, 
I guess another small change I would make, it's not really a big change, but I do think um, if the Clone Wars starts in episode one and having, I'll keep episode two and three, I would like the idea that they wore the actual, the Clone Wars TV show um, armor. <laughs> like yeah, that. that'd be cool. I really like that armor a lot, and I don't understand why they're just wearing robes all the time in the actual prequels. <laughs> it's yeah, you wouldn't wear armor, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's odd, and it looks so heavy and awkward. And I get that they're meant to be. They're, I get at this point they're meant, they're meant to be like these kind of out of touch monks, but at the same time, like you're fighting a war. <laughs> Stop wearing your dressing gown. Um, <laughs> and I guess another small change. Uh, for me, is something I forgot about. <laughs> I forgot what my small change was. Um, something to do with something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was. I want. I like the idea that um, in episode one, at least, the friendship of Obi Wan and Anakin is sort of like Anakin's a newcomer and he really wants to be friends with Obi Wan, but Obi Wan's a bit like mean to him and kind of not a bully, but kind of like not involved doesn't really care about having friends because he's mm. so kind of strict strict to the the court of the jedi or whatever um and having him kind of soften up to being great friends with anakin over the course of the film could really like let you know the actual beginning and then the end compared to they meet on a spaceship they shake hands and then they never talk again until yeah <laughs> it's just it's yeah the oddest aspects of that film yeah, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, there was nothing I was going to say as well. Um, God damn it. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, I was also thinking that um, maybe there should be an aspect of, because obviously Obi-Wan's supposed to be like this great Jedi master, maybe the best Jedi ever, mm-hmm. depending on who you ask. I always thought it was interesting that he... He is such a sort of true Jedi in the sense of the word, if you know, like sticks to the rules and everything. Mm-hmm. When it's supposed to be implied that Qui-Gon wasn't. Like, yeah. Qui-Gon's supposed to be this unorthodox Jedi. Yeah. does odd things. And I feel like it's a bit weird that his Padawan would be someone as stringent to the rules as Obi-Wan is. It should have been reversed in some ways. Um, like, if, if you're going to have Qui-Gon be there, I think Qui-Gon should have been the stern master and Obi-Wan should have been the rebellious sort of kind of going against the rules kid. Because um, mm. I guess, I think Obi-Wan says that at some point in the original trilogy, that I, I, I was also kind of hot-headed at some point as well. Mm. Yes, he does when he's talking to um, to Yoda. Yeah. Yeah, he does. That's a good point. So I guess, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I, guess, I don't understand the idea of just having Obi-Wan not be the main character. I think that's the big one for me. It's like, why isn't Obi-Wan the main character? <laughs> or Anakin, even, to a certain extent. Um, yeah, I think, you know, you put a massive disadvantage with Phantom Menace where you don't know who the protagonist is. No idea. There's no central character at all. It might be Qui-Gon, but then again, why? <laughs> um, it's odd. I don't get it. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Do you want to move on? Uh, yeah, okay. Okay, so my next one is Age of Ultron. Oh, that's an interesting one. This isn't 
it's supposed to be like an interesting film for me because I never know if I. It's just kind of like a. I, I really like the first hour ish kind of. Um, I think whenever I see, it, I'm kind of like, oh, I forget. This is kind of a darker sequel, and it's kind of doing some different things, and there's some different ideas. Um, the characters are getting challenged quite a lot. I really like the set, the set design of the entire Avengers apartment thing. Um, but I just feel like the last hour, I think from the time they go to that diff- somewhere different to, uh, I think, retrieve the Vision's body from Ultron in the big van, that big sequence, mm-hmm. I would, number one, cut out all of that <laughs> when they do that whole chase thing. Um, it's just extra padding on a movie that's already doing a lot of CGI destruction Avengers stuff. Um, and it's not really needed. And for me, I think the last hour really, really fails when it comes to actually completing the arcs that they set up. Um, yeah. I think, in retrospect, we've all kind of went, oh, Age of Ultron had a lot of good ideas and because they got paid off later. But it's weird to me that they didn't get paid off in the, in the actual movie. No, <laughs> uh, they didn't, did they? Not at all. Um, they... I think the big one for me, definitely, and it's always stuck out to me as one of the biggest, like, why, what, how sort of things, is the Tony Stark arc of, like, him... His whole thing is, I want to protect the world, therefore I'm going to build a suit of armor around the world, um, but the suit of armor or whatever goes evil, Ultron, bad things happen. And it's kind of like a, a commentary on his own hubris and ego. But then the film... Like near the end, kind of before the last act, before the, like the last big action sequence, kind of says, "How are we going to fix this problem?" Well, how about Tony, just few, few ego and will, strength and all that, just kind of makes a different cyborg robot person, but this time by complete science or chance or whatever, this this robot is really good. <laughs> um, so. In that, it kind of it just makes Tony not really learn anything. Um, he hasn't really had to change his opinion. He just made a different suit. Um, he hasn't really kind of had a, like a happy happy meeting between him and the actual Avengers team. Uh, there's even even for as great as the moment is by itself, having the Vision pick up Thor's hammer, it's kind of like just saying to the audience, "Don't worry." It's all gonna be fine. <laughs> we've mm. worked out, and we've just fixed it with new science. <laughs> um, and it's kind of just a weird thing. And I think, again, um, I think a lot of this film and a lot of its, a lot of its bad points come from studio interference. I don't really, I don't really know what happened with this film because, I would say, after Iron Man two, I feel like they learned their lesson. So I don't get why they did this with the second. I don't get why they did this with the second film. Um, I just don't know what happened, but I feel like a lot of the changes weren't in the first half. I feel like they were all in the second half, where they would, where Joss Whedon or whoever clearly wrote out a script or had ideas that were definitely going to change the actual direction of the MCU going forward, um, compared to just a new team of Avengers with a new. A different battle under their belts, you know, <laughs> mm. uh, which is what it ends up being. Um, which is kind of sad. I don't think it's a terrible movie, but a terrible, uh, a terrible movie by any stretch. But I just think it's a bit of a betrayal of itself, which is weird. Um, yeah. And 
I think the big the big one for me is definitely um, Thor's arc in the film because he doesn't really have one. His entire purpose in that film is to go and get. He goes into he goes into like some sort of sw- swimming yeah, swimming pool, and just kind of has a dream about the Infinity Stones, mm. <laughs> and then comes out saying, "In ten films time, we'll deal with this." <laughs> so okay then. This is going to happen. Yeah, so he has nothing to do. He has vague fears about Asgard being destroyed, but again, they don't come into effect until then his next film, which came out two years later. Um, so I'm not really counting it as an actual good point for this film by itself. Um, and then, like, I think there needs to be some sort of... And I think there needs, yeah, needs to be some sort of ending where they come together for one last kind of battle together. But I think it should be the last battle that they know they're going to have together. Is As in... I think by the end of this film, the Avengers should be completely like disbanded. Not like a civil war time, kind of like everyone here to each other. But I do think it should be sort of like a, I don't know, like they're just, the government doesn't really trust them anymore because of, because of Tony Stark's actions, and therefore they have to stop. Hmm. Um, and then in civil war, have that a new conflict be from them continuing to act without any, without from the get go any sort of government approval. Um, I think that just adds a certain kind of weight to the film. Um, I think it makes it a bit more of an Empire Strikes Back sort of deal. Um, I think they sort of challenge the characters a bit more. Um, and I think Captain America, for as much as I think that they were going for it, I don't think they achieved it very well in the end. Um, having him kind of accept that his new home, his new family is this kind of army camp for people that he's trained to, training to be soldiers. Um, I think when he says, I think I found my home, I don't think it should be as, like, light-hearted as it is. <laughs> I think it should be kind of like a... I think it should be like a sh- like a sad thing. Because, mm. I mean, he never really found home until Peggy, and then he had to go back in time to get there again. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think having... I just think it's a bit more... It just adds confusing to his arc just a bit when you have him say, I found home, I'm definitely happy here now. And having him kind of reverse that, um, it just kind of is a bit too confusing and a bit too, I don't know, different directors saying different things, I guess. Um, mm. But yeah, for me, I just feel like overall this film should have been a bit less over-the-top action blockbuster and a bit more of a meaningful chapter in the saga and be kind of like a midpoint. I feel like if you were going to buy like some sort of structural... Thing, uh, kind of plot out the entire MCU. You would probably say that the midpoint where everything where everything kind of turns on its head is Civil War. So it begs the question of like, why is Age of Ultron even here? <laughs> uh, because the first act or whatever you want to call it is mm-hmm. definitely the Avengers and them coming into each coming into their own. Yeah. And Ultron is kind of like this weird middle child that just kind of happened. <laughs> um, and I think in retrospect, like we said, it does, like, you do kind of go, oh, this did become meaningful in the end. But I just think, yeah, as its own movie, it's just very, like, just doing a lot of things, but for no real reason by the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Would you agree? I, with that? Yeah. 
I always I always thought it was a really weird film and that it's both the best and the worst of Yeah. <laughs> Especially I think I think it's also the best and the worst of Joss Whedon. Mm-hmm. In many ways. It as is. well as well as the studio thing. Like it, it's the best of the studio the Marvel Studio method in that you have all these characters coming together and having great interactions between them. Mm-hmm. Then you also have the negative part of oh well you had to put they made him put the thing with the cave in. Yeah. And they made him put that in. Um, which thanks for the people that made him do that are no longer there. <laughs> Thank God. They've been ousted. Um, but yeah, I feel like you have the great banter, which Joss Whedon does so incredibly well. Mm-hmm. Like the scene, the, the, the after party scene where they're all trying to lift Thor's hand, that is brilliant. Yeah. Pure gold. As is... Captain America and uh, Tony Stark exchanging arguments or exchanging words, I think the term would be. <laughs> after, yeah. Or after all, Tron's born. Great stuff. But then you also have the stuff like the boob thing, the boob gag. Yeah. Which some... I absolutely hate. Yeah. There's some weird things sprinkled in for no reason. Um, it's incredibly quippy. Mm-hmm. Um. I'm also not a fan of the way that, particularly in this one, just reading handles Captain America. Yeah, overquips him. It's yeah, it's definitely a. I don't know. It feels like a weird mix of like, well, the Winter Soldier kind of modernized him, but Joss Whedon doesn't know how to write him yet like that. Um, mm, yeah, it's like in in Avengers and the, in Age of Ultron, you have Captain America be very. 1940s attitude mm-hmm, yeah. you, you know that, that, that stereotypical chipper we're gonna win the war yeah kind of come on guys let's all band together mm-hmm. or, you know 40s values kind of thing which has kind of been negated by like you say been negated by winter soldier mm-hmm. he's by the end of the winter soldier while he obviously misses his home Mm-hmm. He understands the 21st century by that point. Yeah. Um, especially about when it comes to Civil War, Infinity War and Endgame. Mm-hmm. And so having having his personality in Age of Ultron follow on from Winter Soldier, it feels a bit jarring. Yeah, it does. It feels a bit like um, like someone who kind of like missed one movie in between. <laughs> like mm-hmm. he kind of forgot that it happened, didn't watch it and thought, oh, it's that character, let's do that again. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so like, so like I'm thinking, oh, so Winter Soldier comes after this then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I guess for me it's a movie that's, uh, I don't know, it's perfectly enjoyable. I just, I think it's a great, the entire, everything to do with the, the actual, the farm scenes, for example. I think. Oh yeah, farm's brilliant. It's some really great stuff, but I just think there's a lot of just added fat unlikely on on the movie like so much like techno gabble uh babble as well of just like we've got a machine that creates skin but it's not actual skin and that will later on that will explain the vision and the vision is made out of the stone and he's also made out of vision and also he's made out of this ultron <laughs> and also ultron is vibranium <laughs> and it's just a lot of it's a lot of just stuff happening but nothing really kind of sticks the landing aside from the, the very 
the very small times when the music gets to slow down. Um, and again, it's just it's perfectly enjoyable. But I wish it was, you know, I guess like an Empire Strikes Back or even just a Return of the Jedi <laughs> sort of thing of like it pushed it forward, even though it was, it was just another fun adventure. Mm. This being the Avengers again, the first one, but bigger, I guess. That's what it is, really, in my mind. The first yeah. Avengers, but a bit too big. <laughs> um, yeah. Just a weird one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Do you um, me? Yeah, do you have, um, do you have others? Um, I can do one last one. Okay. Um, I think... Okay. So for me, I think my last one's going to be Suicide Squad. Oh, okay. <laughs> Here we go. Because this film needs a upheaval <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I mean of course I think we all know uh, that behind the scenes a lot of reshooting, a lot of re-editing a lot of recolouring a lot of just redoing scenes for no reason um, a lot of kind of backpedalling um, and I think you can definitely feel it in the movie the entire time <laughs> um, mm. I think my big thing about the movie like the big thing that I think from the get go doesn't let me even remotely access it in any sort of way is the opening 30 minutes of just 30 maybe 35 songs played back to back um on top of scenes that are actually like generally like cut in half or literally fast forwarded um there are scenes that are uh clearly meant to be actual atmospheric moody um introductions to the characters which are turned into um, Viola Davis in a room telling the audience who these people are whilst the camera kind of just saws them and we go, oh, I guess that's them. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of just... There's a lot... And again, I think the big point for me is you can tell the movie wasn't going for this neon, crazy, happy, funny, good time, fun sort of feeling when you look at the the movie's actual like photography. um, It's very muted kind of dark, grimy sort of film. and But at the same time, at, at any given point, they'll just add some neon in the edit. <laughs> like yeah, it just, it's such a weird-looking film. I don't think I've ever seen anything look like it. Yeah, and not in a good way, really. Because <laughs> um, mm. I think it's a... Generally speaking, I think it's a good-looking film. I just don't think it's mixing well with anything else that it's doing. Um, so, yeah, I just feel like it's an incredibly telling point when you're watching the film and at some point someone will say a line and the film will there will then literally do like a dissolve effect and then go into neon to a neon world and then kind of like do the whole the statistics of who this person is that whole thing um mm-hmm. but yeah that first half an hour is brutal mm. that it is on... yeah sorry on the whole this is a really weird film for me not only because it's of all the stuff that happened behind the scenes and because I look at it and I think there are aspects that I actually really like. There are some aspects of me, I guess. Yeah. Um, I'm when I say that I mean that the castings are great. Yeah. Yeah. Like the the whole cast for me is pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. Margot is great as Harley Quinn. I like Will Smith as Deadshot. Jack Courtney, surprisingly, is quite good. He is. Jack Courtney's great. He's really fun. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, uh, Viola Davies, I love Viola Davies than anything. Mm. Um, but, 
I like Joel Kinnaman. I like Joel Kinnaman in this. Yeah, yeah, it's um, weird. Um, but and the then, film, yeah, but the film does nothing with them. Ever. No, it doesn't, and it's it's so strange in that it's such a nothing plot. Yeah, definitely. It's it's literally it's tr- blue light in the sky and a little literal like trash ring <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, and. I mean, for me, it's always like kind of like just surprising to me that I think the big one is the first thirty minutes is a lot of setting up characters and telling you who they are and what the powers are and the background and all that. But going forward in the film, I cannot tell you for the life of me why Killer Croc or Katana or even to a certain extent um, Deadshot even is in this film because like. Why are they in this film when they have nothing of purpose to do as characters? Like yeah, Killer Croc's a weird one. Yeah, he's yeah. I don't get why he's there. Um, even uh, Captain Boomerang, as funny as funny as his performances sometimes, like why is he? What is he doing? Is he learning anything? Is he growing? Is he regressing? Is he anything? He's always oh, he's just here. Um, I think the big point for me, I think, <laughs> like I said, like this film is a big upheaval because. I just said the first 30 minutes needs a whole reworking, but I also think the last 40 minutes needs a whole reworking <laughs> because, God, I mean, the arcs end with Harley still being dedicated to the Joker. Therefore, she's learned nothing. Um, everyone's still in their cells and still in the same spot, but without any sort of... They haven't really found family because, I mean, I don't believe I don't believe for a second that they, they think that they're actually like friends or a family. Um there's no sort of growth between characters, and I think the big point of like just random shit thrown at the wall is just why is the Joker in this film, <laughs> like at all? And I don't even think. I mean, I don't like the performance by Jared Leto. I don't really like him as an actor, to be fair. But I just don't understand why he's in this film because he comes in for I think like three scenes altogether in the first hour or so. And all of them, all of them were just creepy, generic kind of madman doing threatening things sort of scenes um, that you think, oh, but they will probably lead somewhere, but they don't. <laughs> um, I don't know why the drug is in this film because at the end of the movie he just doesn't show up until the actual ending scene where he just shows up and just does nothing. Mm. Um, he gets introduced. He gets shown as being a threatening guy. He frees Harley, but then immediately gets shot down, and then goes missing, and then almost like an after credit scene, shows up to be like, oh, I'm still here. Um, just the weirdest, the weirdest choices, and I just don't understand why you would include him here. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the behind-the-scenes drama of this. Like, There are definitely scenes that are not only cut out, but also in the film, but just cut to pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that scene where he electroshocks Harley on the chair thing. That's not that's not how the scene was meant to go. <laughs> like him saying one word and then there's the camera kind of like going all wibbly wobbly and neon <laughs> is not the intention of that scene. I can't imagine it is. Um Yeah, I can't imagine the man that wrote Training Day envisioning that happening. Yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, this is the weirdest thing. And yeah, and I can't I really do want to see a David Ayer version of this film because I just think it's it'll at least be an actual film if that makes sense. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, 
with intention behind it. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that I will love it or that I will think this Joker is the best Joker or even Harley had a great arc or whatever. I'm just saying that, like, let the the movie breathe for a second. <laughs> um, my favorite part of the film is probably the parts where the film does kind of breathe just in small moments of, like, the bar scene or when they're walking and talking along the streets. Just because the film can't really edit around them to be to make them into these weird neon, I don't know, fever dreams. <laughs> um, so I guess, like, there's only some small moments there that I actually like. But other than that, it's just, just a mess of a film that needs an entire upheaval of just, okay, take out the world-ending plot <laughs> altogether. Have the Joker be an actual character that means something to the story. Um, have your main characters actually have arcs that are clear. Have them find friendship and family. Um, cut out the five other characters that are in your film because all of them are pointless. Why is Katana here? I don't know. Um, have Viola Davis have an actual villain, like actual villain role compared to just kind of being there as an exposition like machine at the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just a lot of things in this film that need complete reworking. And yeah, yeah, I just hope that the air cut, or whatever you want to call it, does get some sort of release because, I mean, I need to see what this film was meant to be. <laughs> yeah. Another weird thing about this film is that it has David Harbour in it. <laughs> it does, yeah. yeah. Not only that, it also has um, Karen Fukuhara, who is um Kimiko in the boys. Yeah. She's which a good actress. <laughs> it's fascinating. I'm looking at the IMDB right now. Uh, Suicide Squad is the very first thing she was in. No way. On IMDB, she she's credited as an actress in nine things. Mm-hmm. The first thing is Suicide Squad. Oh no. That is like a Oh, that's a bad start. <laughs> Not... it, it says she's trained in martial arts, so I don't know. She probably had a career in something before that. Yeah. I mean, that's a bad start. Like, not on her part, but on, like, this part, the film's part. Of, like, this her big... agent. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm kidding. I think the funniest part in this film, by far, and it's so sad that it's this, like, bad, but the, when Katana comes onto the, the health. <laughs> Yeah, it's so I think funny. I know what you're going to say. It's so, such a rush moment of just like, oh, God. When she comes Should to I the find the quote? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, she, comes, she comes onto the helicopter, last minute, like literally like last minute, everyone's about to leave. Um, Joel Kinnaman, Kinnaman's character says to everyone on the helicopter, hey, this woman, this is called Katana. I wouldn't get on the wrong side of her, though, because a sword, a sword traps the souls of the living dead. And everyone goes, huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then she has no lines for the rest of the film until the, the very end, where for a very brief moment, we see her just talking to the sword in the background. And that's her entire purpose. Um, so this, is, this is Katana. She's got my back. I would advise not getting killed by her. Her sword traps the souls of its victims. <laughs> It's, and that's it. Oh my god, it's that's so Katana. Bad. Imagine like I don't know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Imagine they said, "Oh, this is Rocket Raccoon. He's got my back." 
<laughs> He's got a big gun and a big bomb somewhere. Anyway. <laughs> this is Groot. He's, He's got my back. I'll be fine, my game. It's incredible because it's like it's like the most lazy or kind of just rushed way, maybe, of just saying what you need to say before moving on. <laughs> it's just, oh, God, this film, what a what a piece of movie. <laughs> uh, that's all I've got to say on it. There's just okay. too many things. There's too many things in this movie to talk about, like how you would rechange it. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, lovely jumbly. Yeah. Do you have any others? I mean, I have more, but I feel like it's a bit rude going on. <laughs> I don't mind. I'm just I don't mind. I, I find it quite difficult, but if you've got more, then uh, we can do them. Um, I guess a short one I've got is the Crystal Skull. Okay. Uh, I think a lot of the, I mean, a lot of the choices are around the the cartoony effect of the film. Just having the nuke fridge or. The um the ants even to a certain extent the um the monkey swinging the monkey swinging the gophers that are just there those things oh Why? the gophers yeah. yeah yeah remember that um I literally put my notes gophers <laughs> why <laughs> um I think despite all that the biggest thing for me is still the fact that there are aliens yeah I guess I don't looking back looking back when it comes to the end I just all I can think is, all I'm thinking and watching that happen is, right then. <laughs> yeah. That's what we've gone for. And we're going to move on. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of like it. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's definitely different. I think it's what the, I would rather it was something different than just a new, like, religious item. Um, but yeah, I guess it is a bit weird. But also... The John Hurt character in the movie, I forget what his name is. Um, Oxley? Loxley? Yeah, there we go. Oxley, I think. Um, I don't like this character whatsoever. Um, I think he gets in the way of the film. Don't <laughs> um, say that about John Hurt. I'm sorry. Legend of Scream. It's not his fault. It's the script's fault and all that. It's just like, whenever he's in the film, I can't tell you why he's in the film. Um, and whenever he's having a scene, I'm thinking... This scene could just go towards Indy and Mutt uh, Jones and their father-son thing going on instead of having a random professor person in the background going wibbly wobbly wobbly wobbly. <laughs> um, I think um, one of the things that had occurred to me is that I feel like Oxley is supposed to be Brody. Yeah, okay. I think that's why. Um, but obviously, unfortunately, the actor that played Brody... He's passed away since. Yeah, he did. Um, he passed away... Um... Wait a minute. He passed away only three years after the last crusade. Really? 992. No way. Mm. Oh, my yeah. God. I, 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 I often imagine that the Oxley is supposed to be Brody. Yeah. Um. I think... Okay, the other one I have is that... I think that the... Mutt Jones and Indiana Jones character, I think that they should know about each other from, from like the beginning. Um instead of like a, a weird like midway reveal. Um I would rather the film for the per- like the first like half an hour kind of hinted towards a background between them two and just kind of said to and kind of just like had a 
oh, Indy, you, you had a son, how is he? And they'd say that they're estranged and they didn't get along and he was a bit rebellious or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would have the arc be centered around Indiana Jones having to be, having to kind of tear himself away from being the action hero and kind of actually be a father um, compared to kind of just like learning about it halfway half through the film and then doing the whole adventure thing with him. And by the end, I guess they just move on. <laughs> um, I'd forgotten that that's only revealed halfway through. Yeah, it's kind of like a, I don't know, it's maybe like a funny scene, but it, also, it comes off as like kind of a, okay. <laughs> it kind of like, this is one of those things where it kind of just moves on. Yeah, um, it's one of the moments where it happens and you think, okay. Yeah. It's like one of the moments where you don't, you don't switch off, but you sort of think, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, same. Um, I do think that Marion should still be in the film. Um, I like the idea of him and her and Indy meeting up after like so long and getting to know each other again and kind of moving past their old differences. Um, it's one of the few parts that, for me, work about the actual film that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I feel like the villain... <laughs> So I think the worst part of the new film is definitely the Russian villain for me. Um, not because, not because like I think she's terrible, but because like I just don't. I feel like if you're making a sequel that's came out so long after the first three, that the villain needs to be some sort of, I don't know, like some sort of meaningful, arc fulfilling villain compared to the previous villains maybe. Um, and I think that the villain should at least be. Like a a figure from the past, um, not necessarily one like one that we've seen in the film, but just kind of a an old enemy that's came back and won't let Indy and his adventure days go and all that all that sort of thing, and kind of tie him in or her in with the idea that Indy won't stop being the action hero where he should be more of a father or professor or, or like whatever he's going to be, mm-hmm. um, compared to him kind of like just still being the same guy from twenty years before. And has a son who he just knows now, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a uh, yeah. I think for me, this film kind of just needed a bit of a um, a stronger kind of focus on characters this time around, compared to another another like straight up adventure, which was yeah. a fine idea. I don't think I think it could have been done better that way. But also, kind of think when you're making a sequel that long after, I feel like it just it just needs a bit more of a kind of a a mythos behind it of like the characters changing now in the modern times and all that sort of stuff um and i think for the most part the actual film that came out was kind of this they kind of say oh you're old now and then kind of move on do the same things before <laughs> um which is fine i guess but also kind of just lose it being a bit i don't know running the mill but also kind of not as good because it's it's so cartoony and weird and kind of mm-hmm not gritty like the, like the old ones were at all um yeah would you agree with any of those points <laughs> yeah i would yeah i would i think if you had like a stronger core a stronger a stronger journey basically emotionally and yeah. that sounds pathetic saying in that way but yeah just something something that indie can actually learn because the best in the Jones film for me is the last crusade mm, where you have people learning and having like a real strong emotional reason for being there yeah 
I feel I feel like you like you said the actual adventure we're going on the fun adventure is fine. It's mostly what the first film's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like you can't once you go for the big more emotional things, you can't really step back from that. Yeah, it kind of feels like a half measure with the new one. Uh, mm. Kind of like that's the main problem because if if you come back and it you, you do go half measure, you're not as you don't as big as you were. Emotionally, it kind of feels just like a like an add-on. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a whole new installment, like a new chapter in the franchise. It feels mm. like yeah, it just feels like a. Best way I can say it is, it's not a brand new video game. It feels like a DLC. Yeah, I would agree, and it feels like um, I mean, Star Wars is a good example of films that even if you don't like them, well, like they do all feel kind of integral to the story, um, like. And you can definitely argue that A New Hope is definitely a straightforward adventure compared compared to the other ones. Um, so I think having Indiana Jones follow a similar format of having the first one be a straight up adventure, the second one being kind of a horror mix torn, the third mm-hmm. one having a clear arc there. And I feel like the fourth one should have gone even further and made a clear fulfillment of his actual arc over these four films. Instead of like just having a nostalgia trip, but not even... I don't know, but maybe it isn't a nostalgia trip. It's more kind of a... I don't know. It's just, it's, just... It's, it's, weird cause it's not nostalgia. It's not doing or looking at things from the first two, but it's trying to recreate it. Yeah. I don't you mean it's weird that it, it is nostalgic, but it isn't. Yeah, it's trying to recreate it, but it's not doing it well. <laughs> um, I only... I think... As well, one thing that you can't really have is like you might you might think that someone might think the an arc for this might be that maybe you get Indy to do some sort of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel like these films aren't the kind of thing where you kill a main character. I would agree. Yeah, they don't feel that way, do they? Like uh, you, you, and, you know, it's it's sort of odd, but you know, you know from like tonally, what kind of franchise is willing to kill off its main character. Yeah, definitely. And it feels like this isn't one. It feels like it would be a disservice because it's supposed to be quite fun. Not that you can't have high stakes, mm-hmm. but I think you can have high stakes without the stakes being the main character's death, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I think for me, the, the charm of the Indiana Jones trilogy is the fact that Indiana Jones and his supporting characters aren't really like pristine perfect action heroes or whatever they're kind of like indiana jones for example yes he's very cool and he's got a whip and he can do all these pretty cool things but for the most part he's kind of stumbling around and barely gets aware of it at most points um i feel like in the fourth one i can i think there's like one moment i mean there's two moments i think in the entire film where i think indiana jones is in some sort of danger aside from that He's kind of just doing some really cool running away and driving really well <laughs> and punching really well. And when you mix that in with an older actor who is can't do that much complicated choreography anymore, so it's mostly just kind of simple kind of punches and simple kind of block, punch, block, punch sort of thing, it's less interesting um, in that sense. And... Mm. A great example for me is comparing um, the fight scene in the first film with the big plane and the big guy and um, and that little desert place uh, compared to 
uh, Indiana Jones 4 with Indy versus the big guy and the ants and all that stuff. Yeah. In that first one, there's a lot of different elements. There's Mary in the cockpit getting almost killed. There's the threat of an explosion about to happen. There's the propellers. There's a big guy fighting Indy and Indy kind of having this kind of charming, kind of youthful, kind of going all over the place, kind of jumping around, getting falling down, getting hit and on the ground he's on the ground a lot and rolling around (laughs) head out to the fourth one in which for the most part he's just punching this guy a lot until the guy just stops moving (laughs) (laughs) literally like watching it again that's all it is it's just them dodging the ants and him just punching until the man stops (laughs) and it works and that's most of the film indiana jones punches someone until they stop um and it's just a bit, it's just a bit more, it's kind of like they treat the, I don't know, it's just weird. I don't like it, but also, it's not the worst film in the world. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's well, all I've got. It, it, it's worth thinking about it because obviously you have an older Harrison Ford, but it's also quite an old film now. Yeah. It's 2008. <laughs> yeah. Which is mad. And they're making a new one, maybe. They're trying to. They're trying the hardest to. <laughs> I also found it really weird that Harrison Ford was so eager to kill off Han Solo. Yeah, he seems so into Indiana Jones. I think I generally think because he understands Indiana Jones. Like, <laughs> like I think in his mind he goes, "Oh, Indiana Jones, desert cars, whip," and in Star Wars he just goes, "Tie fight." X. It doesn't. It I don't think he gets it at all. Um, which, to be fair, fair enough. <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. blame. At all, do like what you like, um, but like, yeah. like we were saying uh, saying yesterday about uh, Carl Weathers and Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah, so point the camera at this clone machine who is making a new Palpatine. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm just I'm just gonna put this put this green curtain here, and you yeah. can do whatever you want. You do what you want, Carl Weathers. Going <laughs> yeah. um, on. We can do. Um, I don't, I don't know because because the time obviously we 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 spent a lot of time faffing about with the the other software. Yeah, we did. Um, I I don't know if you want to you want to call it there or. Um. Yeah, we can call it now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just time conscious. It's a short episode, but we've still got an hour and a half. So. Yeah. Do you, do you want to close it off? Uh. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for listening. It's been a marvelous in a podcast. I've been one of your co-hosts, Henry. I've been another Karis Matthew. We are currently doing. Uh, DC Films in Review on our Instagram at, uh, at Marvelous Cinema Podcast mm-hmm. um, we're doing the same thing over at our Twitter at Cinema Marvelous um, at the same time we're just doing random reviews in between that as well um, yeah and we also got weekly podcast episodes on Monday usually um, yeah thank you for listening yeah thank you very much we hope you've enjoyed bye have a great day <laughs>